Hi, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hi, Craig. Hey, Craig. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Paddocks. Today, we have a history lesson we're going to be sharing on the team we've come to love, Aston Martin. While the team hasn't been around long on the track, you'd be surprised at how it got to where it is today. Today, we have myself, Chelsea, Ido, Drea, Casey, and Hannah on the episode, and we're going to start off with Ido on who the Aston Martin team originally was. Yeah, I mean, as Chelsea said, they haven't been Aston Martin for long. So let's start off with who they were before. They originally came onto the scene in the 90s in its first incarnation as Jordan from 91 to 2005. And that actually was their longest incarnation to date. That team was founded by Irish businessman Eddie Jordan, hence named Jordan. How creative. And hence they also raced with an Irish license, which for those who don't know, is like akin to a driver's license for Formula One cars. You basically need it in order to participate. Even though they raced under an Irish license, they were always UK slash Silverstone based. And to this day, that has never changed, even though we'll see like they at one point raced with a Dutch license and had all these different like licensing countries, but they were always the Silverstone team. And while Jordan itself was only active in F1 for 14 years, their story actually started in the early 80s within British F3, where they were known for battles like the one ones between their test driver, Ayrton Senna, and Jordan Brault driver, Martin Brundle, both famous names at F1 today, one for being a exceptional driver whose life was just cut way too short and the other one brundle being a media commentator to this day due to that success in british f3 they ultimately decided to enter formula one in 91 which saw them finish fifth right off the bat which considering their 10 teams they were a newbie team is amazing this and additionally to them being a newbie team, one of their drivers, Bertrand Gachot, was sent to prison mid-season. <laughs> and honestly, when do you hear a story like that? Like the '90s F1, just wild. And him being sent to prison is just a teaser. What will happen to this team over span of the next twenty years? But. Him being sent to prison also meant that we got a substitute driver, that substitute driver being Michael Schumacher. And without all of that happening, we might have never seen the rise of Michael Schumacher. And even though they tried to sign Michael beyond that one race where he replaced Gachot, they actually weren't able to because he moved on to Benetton right after, even though they tried to get an injunction and basically drag it out in court and stuff, but then the court ultimately ruled, hey, you didn't have a specific contract in place, no signed paperwork, he's not yours. 
So that's why he was only there for one race. Um, and chaos just continued to happen. That was one of the reasons why they didn't win any races until 98. And even that win was very chaotic. At the Belgian GP, where only six cars managed to finish. And that win was also thanks to Damon Hill, his teammate, Ralph Schumacher, who coincidentally is Michael's brother, made that victory actually much more sweeter because he came in second. So managing a maiden victory as a one-two is amazing. Sadly, even though it was a sweet victory of one-two, it wasn't without controversy. And apparently Schumacher was given team orders to not pass Hill during that race. Those team orders were apparently something that was clearly discussed at the Schumacher's dinner table after the fact because Michael ended up buying out his brother's contract at Jordan, which cost him a cool two million. And that's why Rolf Schumacher ultimately moved on to Williams. And also, it kind of made sense in the whole Jordan-Schumacher mess because neither Michael nor Rolf stayed at that team for very long. They clearly were match made in heaven. While 99 was a successful year for them, they accomplished their highest ever constructors finish of third. The euphoria was very short-lived because in 2000, it marked the beginning of the end of Jordan. Having driver issues as well as engine issues throughout the early aughts, 2004 saw them starting to struggle even financially, which is something of a theme that we will revisit throughout this episode. But the financial trouble at the end of the day was the main reason I would argue that just before the 2005 season, Jordan was sold to Midlands Group, even though they would only start becoming the Midlands F1 team in 2006. Jordan's last hurrah as a team like under that brand was in 2005 at the Indianapolis Grand Prix when they managed to finish in third and fourth with Thiago Monterello being just ahead of Naraya Katekan. Though, as usual, controversy did not not play a role in that unusually high finish for Jordan. Because in that race, actually, only six drivers started. Because that season, we had two tire suppliers, one of them being Bridgestone and the other one being Michelin. And the six cars that were using Bridgestone tires were the ones that started. Whereas everyone on the Michelin tires had some sort of tire failure during the formation lap. Because the Indianapolis GP in 2005 was such a mess, we'll likely cover it down the road because it was chaos beyond belief that could cover its own episode. So, as I said, 2006 saw them officially become Midland, even if it was a very short stint for them. While we had a rocky start to the season, mostly only battling Super Agiguri, which was in last place, they improved as the season went on, moving up the midfield and sparring with teams like Toro Rosso and even Rebel. 
yes, Red Bull was a midfield team at some point. But even those improvements didn't really help them or prevent a further sale, this time to Spiker cars in September of 2006. And Spiker, they weren't around for long. But unlike Midlands, Spiker decided to come in hot and heavy right off the bat when the sale was finalized and changed the name and delivery of the team mid-season. While the remainder of the 06 season was as chaotic as one would expect from a team that gets bought and changes its name mid-season, 2007 wasn't really any better. Being plagued by financial troubles to the point where they had to release their first driver, Christian Albert, as well as a less-than-ideal car that they only managed to lead the lap with in one GP, which actually was funnily enough led by Albert's replacement, Marcus Windelhook, at the Nuremberg ring. Though even leading that lap at the European GP didn't secure Windelhook's seat beyond the European GP as he too was replaced by Sakon Yakamoto right after. And again, I'm encouraging you guys to check out the European GP in 07. Because those musical chairs at Spiker weren't the only weird things happening that race. It's really something to check out. So, 2007. By the time Japan rolled around, Spiker still wasn't with a single championship point that season. Thankfully, Adrian Sutil managed to change that as he was promoted into 8th place at the end of that race. Which, under the old system, for those of you that don't know, only the first eight cars scored points, rather than as it is now, first ten. He was promoted into eighth place because Vittorio Luzzi overtook him under a yellow flag, which isn't allowed, and therefore Luzzi was given a penalty and Sutil was promoted into eighth place. Sadly, even that single point and... Therefore, the associated money at the end of the year didn't really help them with their financial trouble. And the sale that was already set in motion as early as August was not stopped. The team was bought by a consortium called Orange India, led by Indian businessman Vijay Mala and a Dutch entrepreneur who was already part of the board. Michael Mole, which Chelsea will talk more about. So I'd say the team has a confused identity by now. It's kind of like a teenager going through phases. And right now we have found our newest aesthetic, which is Force India. Now, like Ido mentioned, this team has been going through consistent issues, finding its way on the F front track. And after the last financial one, Indian businessman Vijay Mahia and Dutch businessman Michel Mole bought the Spiker F1 team for $88 million. Now, this was big news at the time because an Indian had never owned an F1 team before. In 2008, we officially saw Force India on the track with their retained team principal, Colin Coles, and Chief Technology Officer Mike Gascoigne from Spiker. We did have drivers Adrian Sotel and Giancarlo Fischera. So I do want to preface our Force India story by saying they were definitely chaotic. 
but the name did last around like 2019, so it was a pretty long time on the grid. And their first season was a doozy. By the end of the first season, we saw the team principal leave. We saw Gascoigne take over as team principal, and then he left as well. So Malia got stuck in both roles, basically. And they did have a technical director that assisted a bit too. And he was helping the team's cars transfer from Ferrari in 2009 to Mercedes engines in 2010. Because Force India decided they couldn't get a single point with the Ferrari engine. So they were like, okay, you're out. We're going to move to Mercedes. I did find out this left Force India team owing some money to Ferrari because their engine was so expensive in the first place. But James Key, the director for all of these changes, he left to Sauber at the end of 2010. So besides the constant switching of staff that was happening in the paddocks those couple of seasons, they weren't having a lot of luck on the circuit either. Adrian Sotel was technically Force India's first driver, but he was a holdover from the Spikers team. And to put it plainly, he was not that great on the track with the team. He went two seasons of driving, so... It was like about 35 races back then, and he DNF'd on 17 of them. The other driver, though, wasn't really having the best luck either, but Giancarlo, who was an ex-Renault guy, he did get the team their first podium in second place, with obviously getting the team their first points, at least that high in the standing, in 2009, and that was during the Belgian Grand Prix. So to this day, that had been Force India's highest placement, by the way, so... We'll talk about some third place podiums they got a little later on, and it was by a driver we all know. Now, finally, Force India was seen getting some points on the circuit. We did have Giancarlo leave to Ferrari for the rest of the 2009 season after his podium, but he was retiring soon, and honestly, I would want to retire with Ferrari too, so... Funny enough, Malia stated he understood that there was no hard feelings, and... He was stated saying, a competitive Italian driver in a Ferrari for Monza is a positive story for Formula One, which can only help raise the sports profit in these difficult times. I do wonder if he was okay with it a little more, since he did technically owe Ferrari some money for the whole engine thing, but anyways. They ended up bringing Vitantonio Luisi for the second driver's seat to finish the 2009 season, and he ended up retaining that seat for the 2010 season. Now, they did finish 7th place with 68 points ahead of Sauber, but they were literally one point behind Williams because of a few DNFs and no podiums. In 2011, we did say goodbye to Luisi, and after having a pretty rough season, we said hello to Paul Di Resera, who was last year's team test driver. Now, this was the first season that we saw Force India get a car made with a Mercedes engine and a McLaren gearbox. So in theory, they were actually really hoping for like a good season, um, but it wasn't to be. They were averaging in 6th to 10th place brackets, and they finished that season 6th in the Constructor Championship again. But you know what? They move on. They prevail. And in 2012, they say goodbye to their first driver of the past few years, Adrian, introducing a name we all love to say. Nico Huckenberg. I do want to lightly touch that they let Adrian go not because of his skill, um, but because he was charged with assaulting the Lotus F1 team box in a nightclub in Shanghai the previous year. So anyways, the season really, it wasn't anything amazing. There was no podiums and really the closest finish they had ended with Nico almost on the podium 
before crashing into Lewis at the last race of the season in Brazil. So that was gone. And Forsandia is loyal, okay, because they brought Adrian back after his little punishment to the grid for 2013. And they said goodbye to Nico and said thanks for your work. So really nothing amazing. But there were six in the Constructors' Championship again, so at least we can call them consistent. You know, they're consistent at this point. 2014 now, though. Okay, hold on to your seats because they decide it's time for a complete driver swap-up. Technically complete driver swap-up. They bring back Hulkenberg from Sauber. They send Adrian to Sauber. And Sergio Perez, better known as Checo, who I will refer to him as in this episode, was just let go of McLaren. So I honestly think it was really smart bringing Checo in because this team was finally back on the podium in Bahrain with their third place slot. And they did it again with like Sergio multiple times throughout these years, which I'll talk about. But he was a good choice. They did keep it consistent again. They got six in the Constructors' Championship, you know. But this time, they did it with 125 points ahead of Toro Rosso, which is absolutely outstanding. Now, in 2015 is when we first hear these little rumors that Force India might be having some financial issues. Sounds like, you know, history repeats itself. But while they were able to retain Nico and Checo for these driver spots, they missed the first practice test of the session because they had some supposed setbacks on the car. But a, a little birdie, a little insider who worked within the company in a high position, they said that they missed this first practice test session because of a supposed setback on the actual finances. It was the team principal that season, uh, Robert Fernley. He ended up admitting they'd probably miss all three practice sessions and do some work on their own. They did make it to the last test date in Barcelona, but Nico ended up crashing the car anyways. So I don't really think they needed that session. The season, though, it, honestly, it wasn't bad. Checo and Nico were midfield drivers, and the car itself had received some upgrades that ended up making it faster in the corners. And it was finally a little bit more reliable compared to the past versions, which had created way too many DNFs from tech and engine issues. We also saw Checo bring in another podium, third place, and he helped the team deliver a new standing in the Constructors' Championship, and they were finally finishing that season in fifth place. And 2016 was even better, you know, for the, the team on the track. We saw Nico and Checo keep their driver's seats again, and I'm telling you, this was the best thing they did because we saw Force India get two more third-place podiums thanks to Checo, and the team moved up to fourth place finally beating Williams in the Constructors' Championship, who was literally always like three or five points ahead. Now, in 2017, we say goodbye to Nico, and we bring in a face everyone on this podcast loves, and that is Esteban Ocon, our SD bestie. Now, Checo stayed on the team, don't worry, and we have a season that honestly starts really strong, okay? SD and Checo are getting points in the first five races of the season, and we thought it was going to be a good one for Force India. Um, but alas, life happens. Checo and Esteban started having issues after the sixth race that left them outside the points. And then they had a collision during the Azerbaijan Grand Prix, causing Checo to DNF and Esteban to come in six. And then they did it again at the Belgian Grand Prix. And Checo once again had to DNF after they crashed. So look, even with this whole mess that they were having, the team did finish fourth in the Constructors' Championship, so I guess they were doing something right, but come on. Now, 
Do you remember those financial rumors I mentioned back in 2015? They're coming back to us. Yeah, they're coming back in 2018, folks. And now Casey is going to go over the administration that we find Force India in during 2018, but I'm going to tell you how we got there. Now, do you listeners remember Malia? You know, the guy that bought the team. He named it Force India back in 2008. Well, we, he found himself in some deep trouble over not paying loans to Indian banks. And while the team itself was doing amazing on the grid, having beaten Williams, McLaren, and even Reynolds in the Constructors' Championship, they, they were losing the race in the banks. Basically, it was revealed that Force India Formula One team had, br- <laughs> had burned up a combined net loss of $371.8 million by the time they closed their doors at the end of the 2018 season. Now, Vijay Malia was being looked into for fraud and money laundering charges. So imagine, the team literally had like $315,000 in the bank and they had to cover the next staff bill with a $6.6 million loan from a sponsor, which is the water treatment company, BWT. And this isn't counting the other hundreds of thousands that BWT had already given them and the other 450 creditors who were all owed a total of $37.4 million from Malia. Now, obviously, this wasn't something that he was going to easily get out of. But thanks to Lawrence Stroll, who Casey will talk a little bit more about, they got their debts paid in full with a $118 million payment from Stroll. Now, to this date, that is literally the most someone has ever put cash into this team when it first began in 1991. Now, the administration who brought this to light is actually really interesting because it involves a Force India driver. So, Casey, can you tell me a little bit more about what happened with Racing Point there? Yeah. So, on July 27th, 2018, the Forced India team was placed into administration literally right before the Hungarian GP started. And if you're not familiar, administration is the procedure under UK law that is put in place when a company is unable to pay their debts. So, obviously... He did not have 300, over $300 million to pay back. So that's when they brought in this process. So since the team was based in the UK and Silverstone, that means that they fell under the UK legal jurisdiction, which allowed this process to kind of take place. And during administration, the management of the company is replaced by insolvency practitioner, which is basically someone who is professionally trained and licensed to deal with unpaid debts. This insolvency practitioner is responsible for rescuing the company, saving the business, or try just trying to get the best result possible. In the case of the Force India team, the administration was actually instigated by a group of creditors that included Mercedes, who supplied their engine, BWT, their main sponsor, and actually one of Force India's drivers, Sergio Perez, or Checo, in order to allow the team to continue operating until a new owner could be found. This was done because of a wind-up petition that had been filed by some of the people that were owed money, which is a way for unpaid creditors to petition the courts to force an insolvent company or company who owes them, you know, those debts into compulsory liquidation, which basically means it would have forced an immediate shutdown of the team and would put over 400 people without a job, just like that. So as Paris had been with the team since 2014, he knew his fellow employees very well, and they had bonded over a lot of their shared experiences. So he had to make a very difficult decision to sue the team to basically start this administration process to help save their jobs. 
Because while in administration, the team could keep running and they could keep working and getting paid. Now, there were several interested parties that were looking into purchasing the team, the team's assets, but the winning bid came from Racing Point UK. Now, this was an investment consortium led by, at the time, was Williams driver, Lance Stroll's father, Lawrence Stroll, and also included Andre Desmares, Jonathan Dudman, John D. Idol, John McCaw Jr., Michael D. Picciotto, and Silas Cho that was supported by Force Engineers Senior Management and created to actually help save the team. So Lawrence Stroll actually kind of worked with some of the employees at Force India to kind of develop this consortium to basically save the team and keep it in F1. Unfortunately, due to some legal issues, the team was unable to continue to compete that season as Force India and would actually have to compete in the championship as a completely new constructor and forfeit any of the points that Force India had earned prior to the administration point in the season. Luckily, the drivers were able to keep the points that they had earned. It's just the constructor's points that were kind of wiped out. Thus, the Racing Point Force India F1 team was born, debuting at the 2018 Belgian Grand Prix. The team managed to secure seventh in the championship, even though they only started after the summer break. So they basically only competed for half a season, and they managed to beat several other teams, uh, which is pretty impressive after all of the huge mess that had just occurred. And like you can say what you, you can think what you want about Lawrence Stroll, but there's no doubt that without his purchase of the team, hundreds of people would have lost their jobs. We would have had one less constructor in the championship, and we would have two less seats on the grid, a grid that's very hard to get to, and there's very limited spots just in general. So starting in 2019, they dropped the Force India part of the name to just become the Racing Point F1 team. But that's not the only thing that changed. As Lawrence Stroll bought the team, it only made sense for her son, Lance Stroll, to drive for it. Unfortunately, this meant that Esteban Ocon would lose his seat in F1, becoming the Mercedes reserve driver for the 2019 season. There are no hard feelings between the drivers, and Lance and Esteban have known each other since their prima days and are very close friends. You could even say Lance is Esty's bestie. And they're often spotted together during the race weekends just hang hanging out. So no bad blood there. The team was able to score points in the first four races of the season, but began to struggle kind of towards the middle point. Luckily, after they were able to bring some successful upgrades to the car, right before the 2019 Belgian Grand Prix, they were able to improve their performance for the later part of the season. Checo was able to score points in all of their remaining races, that he was able to finish because he had one DNF. But that helped the team get ahead of Alfa Romeo in the championship and finish seventh again. So it's really seeming like this hiring of Checo back in 2014 is really carrying the team through all of these years. The 2020 season starts off with a bit of controversy. The now bright pink car, due to the sponsorship from BWT, showed up to preseason testing looking a little bit too familiar to last year's championship winning car from Mercedes, the W10. The other teams didn't let the pink Mercedes go without protest, though. Renault brought a protest to the FAA against Racing Point after the Styrian GP. And now Racing Point admitted that they tried to copy the W10 as much as they could by reverse engineering different parts based on pictures that they had taken of the car. And this is totally within the rules and is kind of a standard practice amongst F1 teams. Like recently, we got to see all of the floors of the Red Bull and the Mercedes at the Monaco Grand Prix, and you bet... All of the other teams were taking pictures of that and trying to reverse engineer it. And it makes perfect sense. Why wouldn't you try to replicate such a dominant car, especially one that supplies your engine and your gearbox? But the real issue was with the brake ducts, a saga that begins in 2018. 
Now, if you're unfamiliar, a brake duct is a passageway in the braking system that brings air into the brakes to cool the temperatures down because they can get very, very hot uh, during a race. When designing a brake ducts, a balance must be found between the cooling of the brakes and the aerodynamic performance. And now in 2018, braking ducts were considered non-listed parts, which means parts that competitors or third parties hold the IP of, but they can still supply to other teams. This means that Racing Point was 100% legal when they bought the CAD designs for the W10 brake ducts as a part of their supply agreement with Mercedes, who also supplied their engine, gearbox, and some suspension parts as well. So they used the W10 front brake ducts for the RP19, but due to having a different rear aerodynamic concept, the team designed their own rear brake ducts for the 2019 season. But in 2019, brake ducts became listed parts, which were exclusively owned or controlled by a single competitor, i.e. no sharing, no sharing allowed. And here's where it gets a little bit tricky. Since Racing Point had used the Mercedes designs for their front brake ducts in 2019, altering them slightly. They were allowed to continue using them in 2020, even though that part had been changed from non-listed to listed. The issue was actually with the rear brake ducts. Since the team tried to copy the W10 as close as they could, this means that their rear aerodynamic concept had changed from what they used previously with the RP19, meaning that they needed some new rear brake ducts. And well, they already had the designs for some rear ducts that would work pretty well with this W10 concept, seeing as how they were designed for the W10. So they pulled the CAD drawings out of storage and used them to develop their rear brake ducts for the RP20. Since the brake ducts became listed parts, it came down to who did the design work on them for the RP20. It was determined that even though the CAD designs were acquired legally, the RP20 rear brake ducts were mainly designed by Mercedes, not Racing Point which was a violation of the sporting regulations rules on listed parts. And now Racing Point was allowed to keep the rear brake ducts because you can't just delete the knowledge out of someone's brain, but they were fined instead. The team was docked 15 points in the Constructors' Championship and fined 400,000 euros. Racing Point was lucky that they got off pretty lightly, in part because the FIA guidance was not very clear and, you know, arguments could be made that it wasn't specifically not allowed what they did, but they still had to pay a fine. A true masters of the concept asks for forgiveness, not permission. Despite this controversy going on, the team does have a record-breaking year when it comes to racing. Lance Stroll gets the team's first ever podium as Racing Point, uh, with a P3 finish at the Italian GP, and also gets the team's first pole at the Turkish GP. Checo is consistently in the points as well, with the Bahrain GP being the only race where both cars don't score a point. A highlight for the team, and for Checo as well, was Checo's first ever win at the Secure Grand Prix. An impressive one at that, climbing from the back after a lap one incident to P1, and also having his teammate on P3. A podium to remember, as it was the first Mexican race winner since 1970, and the first win for the team since 2003 as Jordan. A much needed victory for the Mexican driver, as he was being replaced on the team next year by four-time world champion Sebastian Vettel, and needed to impress other teams to find a new seat. And impress he does as he signs with the top team Red Bull the next week. Having been with the Silverstone team for seven years, through three different names, and through tough challenges, Checo still has a strong bond with the people of his former team. After winning the 2023 Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, he was seen celebrating with his former team, Aston Martin, as well as Red Bull, which was nice to see as the rivalry and competitiveness can get a bit intense in F1. 2020 ends after many highs and lows, 
but they can be proud of their P4 finish in the Constructors' Championship, the team's highest finish as Racing Point. The change isn't over yet for this team, saying goodbye to the Racing Point name and the iconic pink livery at the end of 2020. Barbie Core F1 team, you will be missed. The marketing team up with the new Barbie movie that's coming out would have been amazing. But the future is looking green for this team, as Drea will get into. Yes, and how they became green is, as we all know, we've heard his name many times, Lawrence Stroll. Honestly, this man has the money. He is from Canada, like Lance, because he's his dad. And Lawrence had a very big hand in fashion. That's how he has all this money. Like He brought Ralph Lauren, Michael Kors, Timmy Hilfiger to Europe and other places. So he's relevant to us because he, again, led a very wealthy group of people to invest 182 million pounds into Aston Martin for 16.7% of the company holdings, which for us Americans who don't do currency conversions very well because we only deal with, honestly, we don't even deal with cash. We just deal with swiping our card or putting it in online. That's $228,783,100 in our money. So it was a lot. This He's already dished out more whenever he did Racing Point. Now he's dishing out more to become Aston Martin. So now he has the iconic Aston Martin color, and their name is Aston Martin America Cognizant F1 Team. With the whole rebranding and getting away from the BWT, we now have different drivers. We have Lawrence Still. Or we have Lance Still and... Like Casey had said, we now have Sebastian Vettel, and they thought that his experience being a four-time world champ would bring a lot to the team in developing the car and helping figure things out. We'll see how that goes in a second. They are currently using a Mercedes power unit, but they will switch to a Honda power unit in 2026. So for the 2021 season, they have... Otmar Safnoff as their team principal, the drivers, and then they have Nico Hulkenberg as their reserve driver, which we've heard his name multiple times before. Sadly, the team finished seventh in the Constructors' Championship with 77 points. They are very used to finishing seventh, so they are not at the front still, but they seem to be doing decent with being middle of the pack. Sepp got second place for a podium in Azerbaijan, but after that for the season, it was downhill. Because in Hungary, he got disqualified and stripped of his podium, where he also plays second. Because the FIA will sometimes do randomized fuel checks, and they have to have a liter of gas in the car where they don't have to like keep pushing air into it to get stuff out or like do extra things to get the gas out of the car. So he did not have enough, and they have to have a liter because they use a third of it for each test that they do, and that disqualified him. In our hearts, though, he still got second, but it's fine. Then team principal Otmar left to Alpine, and now we have Mike Crack as our team principal for 2022. So the 22 season started off with a bang for the team while when Sebastian Vettel got replaced by Nico Hulkenberg for the first two races due to COVID. COVID is still around. There was also controversy for the team with the grid because of some upgrades introduced at Barcelona. We've heard some things before with the pink Mercedes. Well, the team changed the side pods and how the vents work within the side pods to get the air flowing through the car. And Christian Horner, our sassy king, Red Bull CEO and team principal, made a comment and called them Green Red Bull because of how similar it resembles the current Red Bull at the time. The Red Bull pit wall went as far as drinking 
green Red Bulls, which are the dragon fruit flavor. After concerns were brought up to the FIA, but the FIA dismissed everything. They didn't even entertain the idea. So even with the upgrades, again, the, the team finished in the lower half of the points, if they had points at all. They received seventh in the Constructors' Championship with 55 points. So that was about 20 points lower than the previous season, but still seventh. So they're still consistent there. They had a huge silly season off the grid, though. Even though their racing was average at best, a lot of things happened behind the scenes. So Sebastian Vettel announced his retirement from the sport on July 28, 2022. He's, you know, happy with his family. He wants to be more involved with them. He also has a lot of side projects throughout the whole previous season. He was usually seen like picking up trash or, you know, uh, wearing pride stuff, or he was just like very involved in outspoken and just trying to use his fame and his power to give a voice to everyone who didn't have one. So he is continuing with that. And two days later, after he announced his retirement, Fernando Alonso announced he was going to be taking the empty seat. Thing was that this was also when the teams were not supposed to be working during summer break. And nobody could tell if this was a joke or not because we all knew that Fernando was in Greece. So it was kind of a iffy situation for a solid week or two while everyone was trying to guess if this was true or not. That's why we call it a silly season. So before the 2023 season in Spain, before even testing, Lance had an accident on his bike and he, um, we're going to go with he fell. And he ended up fracturing both his wrists. One needed a surgery. He ended up breaking his big toe. The big toe we didn't know until after he got done with the race and it was revealed in an interview later. But yeah, it was a Big thing that we may not have even had Lance start, which would be the second year that we'd have to have a reserve driver in a seat at the start of a race, at the start of a season, but it's fine. He was able to make it. He's a real warrior. With that, though, they did make a new rule that the drivers are no longer allowed to use their bikes on the track because of his injuries, and then they aren't really allowing scooters either. So far this season, Lance has had to retire the car twice and has finished in points four times out of the seven races. So he's not doing too bad for starting out injured. Alonso, on the other hand, has been dominating this year. He really made a good choice switching over to Aston Martin as part of his L plan. Out of the seven races, Alonso has placed third on the podium four times, second place once. Azerbaijan, he got fourth place, and then Spain, his home race, he got seventh. So he's been getting points consistently each race, and that has really been helping the team. Aston Martin now has 134 points and is third in the Constructors' Championship. Now there is a long way to go for the rest of this season, but things are looking up for them. We're excited to see how far it will take them. But yeah, I'm excited to see how Aston Martin does this season, especially with drivers like Lance Stroll and Alonso Fernando on the grid. And our driver of the week is going to be Lance Stroll, because in case you don't know, we're going to be doing something a little fun this week that Hannah's going to share. And that's a wrap. Thank you for joining us on today's Aston Martin Team Spotlight. Do you think both Aston Martin drivers will dominate this weekend? Reach out to us on social media and let us know. You can find us everywhere as Paddock Girls Podcast, except Twitter. She's a little extra special as Paddock Girls Pod. Get excited, everyone, because we have a great spotlight for this coming Wednesday coming up. 
don't miss out because we are talking about Lance Stroll. See you next time. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. Bye, Craig. See you, Craig.